Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. Organic sales continue to reach unprecedented highs as consumers gravitate to options they perceive as healthier for them and the planet. But the segment faces significant headwinds that are slowing growth and will demand ongoing flexibility, innovation, and education about organic's value proposition for the category to maintain relevancy, especially as the economy tightens. According to the Organic Trade Association's 2022 Organic Industry Survey released earlier this summer, organic sales between 2020 and 2021 surpassed $63 billion, with food sales reaching $57.5 billion. And while strong, these figures are only about 2% above the previous year, which saw much more dramatic growth in the range of about 13%, thanks in large part to pandemic pantry loading that brought many first-time consumers to the space. Now, OTA attributes this slowdown in part to consumers returning to more stable, buy-as-you-need shopping patterns. But the trade group's CEO and executive director, Tom Chapman, also acknowledges external challenges, including supply shortages, higher prices due to inflation, increased competition from other value propositions such as regenerative, and a lack of consumer awareness about organics' full value proposition. But, as he explains in this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, many of these headwinds are short-term challenges that OTA is aggressively addressing, and longer-range trends show organic still has significant growth potential, which the trade group is working closely with stakeholders and the government to seize. At Natural Products Expo East in Philadelphia earlier this month, Chapman explains he's very bullish about organics' long-term potential despite a slowdown in growth, in part because many of the reasons why consumers flocked to the space during the pandemic continue to gain momentum, especially the idea of food as medicine and the desire to improve the welfare of workers and, by extension, farmers. Organic saw tremendous growth during covid that can't be denied. Uh, consumers, you know, really started to focus on the benefit, you know, the way food can be seen as medicine and really, you know, turned a corner in an area that we saw a lot of interest in already, that this, you need to think of food more than just a scene of you that has this higher purpose. And there's, you know, I think this is quoted from an author out there, but that, you know, you pay your doctor later or you can pay your grocer today. And that really happened in COVID, but there was a couple other trends that have happened in COVID and immediately after. You know, organic is value added at the farm, and it requires a three-year transition to get that farm into organic certification. So when you see these spikes in demand, that also has supply chain implications. So when we're looking at the trends that are going on today, it's hard to parse through how much of this is uh, supply-driven shortages, um, price spikes given the shortages that are short-term while farms and people transition. And we see a lot of uh, good opportunity there with the USDA programs and organic transitions to support that and to grow that space of the marketplace. And how much is driven by what we also know is going on in inflation and consumer uh, you know, tightening their budgets. When you look at the organic consumer, though, you, know, you have to segment them into the economic buckets. And whether it's equitable or not, it's not. But today... 
you know, there, a lot of the organic consumer is still also um, an affluent consumer. And, you know, as you've seen in the trends here, we're still seeing that organic is um, uh, a core belief in all those consumers, and they're not trading away from it. They are trading perhaps within the category of organic between higher cost brands and lower cost brands, or from, you know, brands to private label because private label has become much bigger in organic, but it stays there. The question is really the aspirational organic consumer, the one that buys it sometimes, that has a tighter budget, and, and what will happen to them in the, in the short and long run. When I think of organics, though, the value proposition, everything where it's going, both from what happened with COVID, and we talked about that health view, to you know this greater interest of gen, you know, the new generations on uh, climate, solutions coming from agriculture and looking for brands to represent their values, organic has never been better positioned also to capture more of the market share. So yes, there's some short-term headwinds and in inflation, but long-term trends are all really bullish for organic. And it's the time for brands to just double down those values, communicate those values clearly to their, to their customers. Like many segments of the food industry, organic products across categories has suffered supply shortages on and off since the beginning of the pandemic. Part of this is due to adverse weather delaying or limiting the planting and harvesting of some crops. Some is due to farmers choosing to plant more organic crops that were more profitable last year and less of other crops. Some is due to shortages of components like packaging, labor, and transportation, and part is due to demand outstripping availability. Chapman explains that while this last point isn't new, it is by far the most stubborn and one that OTA is working closely with the U.S. Department of Agriculture to address, including with a recently announced $300 million investment that pulls funds from the American Rescue Plan to help encourage and ease organic transition. The organic um, movement still offers a lot of opportunity for organic growers. The struggle we have right now is finding more. And, you know, we are relying on an imported production, um, import, imported food products, and it's important for us to work with the USDA through the Organic Transitions Initiative to find ways to convince more domestic farmers to go organic. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of their program is based around technical assistance and, um, and conservation funding, but a big portion of it is this networking community building, and that can't that can't go underemphasized because farming communities matter, and we see in, in past studies about these economic hotspots where you know there's clusters of organic businesses and organic farms, and that you see this rising of wages, this uh, lowering of the poverty rate. But it comes from this network effect, this community that works together, that shares knowledge, that grows common uh, crops, and that shares this information. And that's the area that we need to keep building on to make sure that farmers are thriving. We're extremely excited about the Organic Transitions Initiative and that $300 million, largest single funding for organic programming coming out of um, USDA and using this as a tool to really bolster domestic supply, bring these benefits down to the farmer level and make sure that they're well supported in their pathway to organic. The Organic Transition Initiative plans to do this by offering direct farmer assistance in the form of increased organic expertise through its regions and by adding organic experts to its regional technological support centers 
and also by covering a portion of their insurance premiums. This initiative also intends to support additional processing and distribution capacity, which is currently in short supply and holding back production. Increasing supply to meet demand could create additional self-defeating challenges, including driving down price premiums for organic, on which farmers rely because their yields tend to be lower and their expenses higher. At the same time, higher prices of organic currently commands are taking a toll on industry's growth by limiting access for consumers who increasingly are feeling squeezed by inflation and beginning to trade down to less expensive options to stretch their budgets. Chapman acknowledges that balance both of these needs will be difficult, but he says it can be done by looking for cost management opportunities between the farmer and consumer and strategically leveraging government procurement. Economic premium is critical to organic because that's, that is the return that happens. And organic is unique in that it's value added at the farm level. And, you know, the standards just maintain that through the process. But you can't take something later and make it uh, uh, organic. And so that cannot change. There needs to be a premium and a price differential. But that price differential also plays out in the marketplace in many different ways. There's, you know, cost plus modeling and the processing and distribution that, you know, it's just the way of doing business, but doesn't always make sense because, um, you know, just because you're handling a more expensive commodity, yes, you have more uh, carrying costs, but the labor, the transit costs, whether that was a more expensive or less expensive item, that's all the same. And so it's important to look across the entirety of the spectrum, and when we're looking at margins being tightened, it doesn't mean it's coming at the expense of the farmer. It doesn't mean it's not either. But it doesn't mean that's where it's coming from, because there's multiple places where that margin might be being impacted. While the industry looks for ways to maintain premium prices for farmers, Chapman says OTA simultaneously is exploring how to enhance consumer access. This is an ongoing challenge that organic is going to have to figure out. There's going to be no one solution, and I don't think we've figured out all the solutions to this problem yet. So, first of all, I'm going to say, that's a shameless plug for us, if you have solutions, we want to hear them, because we want to you know, work within the community and work with folks to find ways to make organic more accessible. It's, um, as I look at the trends that are going on now, the fact that it, you know, or it sits where it does, gives a good positive headwinds for, for what's going on in the inflation environment, but for organic to be, um, to have the impacts that it potentially can, it needs to be accessible to all businesses and to all consumers. Uh, a big format of doing this is to continue to grow the marketplace and ensure that organic becomes a category unto itself um, and that that category is large enough to allow for different price points to survive with that premium still going on, that their higher premium products uh, can subsidize some of your lower premium products to make an overall profitable business for an operation. A key piece of that is bringing in some institutional purchasing power like you would see in government procurement. And so one area that we're exploring is, you know, 2023 is a farm bill, and we're making sure that there's not, you know, we're going to be examining the procurement guidelines of the U.S. government and potentially suggesting changes to make sure that, you know, where local municipalities want to start procuring organic products, you know, thinking through schools, um, universities, things like that, that they have the ability to do that, that there's not some of the structural rules to prevent them from um, procuring those products. Hand-in-hand hand with increasing consumer access to organic is increasing diversity within the organic industry across the value chain, a transition which Chapman argues could further expand the shopper base 
by bringing to market more organic products that are culturally relevant and price sensitive. At Expo East, the Organic Trade Association unveiled a new tool in the form of the Organic Diversity Resource Library, which it thinks can help. We're trying to make the organic uh, trade as diverse as the American consumer. And so there's, there's so much work to be done on all fronts of this thing. The diversity toolkit that we just launched is one great way. You know, we're working at it, I guess, at many levels. We're looking intrinsically at the OTA about the way we operate just as another operation, making sure there's diversity um, in our procurement practices, that it's there in our hiring practices, um, and we're, you know, it's there in our board and it's reflected throughout our own values. But beyond that, then, we're also trying to create resources for our businesses to, to um, engage in a similar fashion. And part of this is bringing in these diverse voices and these diverse conversations and creating spaces and making ways for people to be able to access um, those areas. And so that's what the diversity toolkit and library does. That's just one phase of it, though. There's so much more to it. We also are sponsoring members and businesses who are organic or are trying to convert to organic to come in underneath the trade association work with our experts in the trade association as well as members to mentor them, to provide them the tools that they need so we have these more diverse businesses within the community as well. So there's a lot of businesses. One area that we're really focusing on is transitioning diverse uh, consumer product goods companies. And all this transition conversation that you hear going on is talking about the farm level. And that's important. That's activities we're doing too. But there's also diverse entrepreneurs that are being left out of the consumer product good company. And a lot of the barriers are not the sourcing uh, or the branding. It's getting beyond the, the certification process, this application, the terminology used in that application. Um, it's just not friendly to entrepreneurs and folks that aren't used to interacting with the government in that way. And so we're just trying to find tools and methodologies to break it down. Some of that includes as simple things as translation of documents. The slowdown in organics growth can also be attributed in part to the rise of competing value-based claims and certifications, most prominently regenerative, which appeals to consumers' rising interest in sustainability, but which Chapman says often doesn't go as far as organic. So regenerative is a very complex topic, right? And you can look at it from multiple lenses. This is much like the question around natural. It's a, it's a hard it's a hard thing to boil down into a couple words. Regenerative, um, you know, it speaks to all these soil products. Why don't you go a step back? Organic is complex. Anything that's resilient requires complexity, right? Um, and so it's hard to boil these things down. But for the longest time, people boiled organic down to what was allowed and not allowed. So it's, it's pesticide, synthetic pesticide-free. It doesn't use synthetic fertilizers. That was what's been known. That's been what's been focused on. That was only a portion of what organic was. There's this whole other practice standard that every farmer has to abide by, which includes all those things. It's the nutrient cycling. It's the uh, uh, attention to biodiversity. It's about uh, soil erosion, soil health. All those are requirements. They've always been there. They've been there from day one. But people focus on the other side of the standard. Now that regenerative has come up, you know, there's two aspects of doing it. Organic doesn't doesn't dictate outcome, it dictates continuous improvement within where the standards are. So you have to improve your soil, but you need to get your soil to X spot. Um, when you look at layering regenerative on top of organic, 
it's meant to address some of that by creating um, benchmarks of how you move your soil along. It also brought in, um, I'm speaking mostly to the Rodale program, also brought in aspects that are unfortunately just not realistic to be part of the organic program today. So social standards, um, you know, in a strong certification sense. You know, that's a different department of the U.S. government that has responsibility over those. It's not going to get into the Organic Foods Production Act, which, which deals with the USDA. So, you know, they're bringing together these other social standards to layer on top of organic to create a platform and a, and a format for businesses who want to go beyond what organic is, its foundation, to be able to speak to it in a very clear and concise manner. I have no problem with that. I support that fully. But regenerative is now also being used to describe those individual single practices being taken out in singularity and being applied in a conventional format. We have enough, we're in a climate crisis, a climate existential crisis, that it's good for those practices to be current. 100% supportive of adoptions of some of the successes we see in other places where they can apply them. What I fear is just the consumer confusion and, you know, from a B2B standpoint, that's a great tool to use. But from a, a consumer standpoint, we need to make sure the consumers are clear on the product that they're getting. And so I'm more concerned around regenerative claims at market. I'm also concerned for the businesses that are considering them because it seems like we've been down this road a few times before where we have undefined terms that get very popular. And natural is a road that's gone down. And we've seen the rise and fall of natural in terms of the claim because of you know, lawsuits that come from making uh, claims on something that's not well designed. As a regenerative outside of the organic rock kind of system, I don't know what we're talking about. And that's where I, I have my concern. If I don't know what I'm talking about, I don't know how a consumer would know what we're talking about. One way OTA is addressing this challenge is through a consumer education campaign that pulls a page from its playbook for managing the competitive threat from non-GMO movement which Chapman explained similarly threatened to dilute the power of organic by playing up just one component. So, like the OTA's Organic is Non-GMO campaign from several years ago, the trade group has created a new toolkit to promote Organic is Regenerative. It's meant to be educational um, and just, you know, going through the line-by-line piece because, you know, People look to certification schemes as an information shortcut. They're just trying, you know, everyone's busy. Everyone's dealing with their own jobs, inflation, kids, taking care of their parents, paying their mortgage. They need a shortcut to this information and a label that they can trust. That's what USDA Organic brings. It's a, it comes with federal enforcement. It has a defined term. It may not be perfect in all its aspects, but it answers a lot of questions. You know what you're getting, and it's consistent. That's all the benefit of it. But regenerative is very similar to non-GMO. It's one of these single off claims that takes a single aspect of it. Um, for one business, regenerative might be X, and for another business, it might be Y. It's not a certification that makes it clear what it is. You don't know what you're getting. As we look to next year, we're really excited about developing, we're going to be watching this in November, but a toolkit and conversation to help educate retailers, to help educate our businesses and brands about where organic intersects with this greater sustainability story. And we're just seeing how um, the sustainable consumer thinks about good for the people, good for the planet, good for the communities. Um, and we have been taking the research that's out there and bucketing in the similar kind of 
um, subject matters. And we're going to be using this as a platform to create education for folks to start disseminating this information out there. So that hopefully we start heading off at the past some of these, you know, simplification of what organic is. At the same time, Chapman said OTA and other stakeholders will set up their efforts to ensure that organic meets consumers' expectations by working with the government to continuously improve the standards. The organic standards need to continue to move forward with the times. They need to be updated with current consumer expectations, and they need to stay relevant to consumers. They also need to stay relevant to the latest science. And so, you know, a standard written, uh, legislation written in the 90s, uh, may need renovation from time to time and regulations published in 2000 while a lot has changed in the world since then there's new information the consumer expectation has changed and frankly conventional operations have seen the success of organic and have adopted a lot of these practices if it's there is no difference between conventional and organic we're not going to see that premium the marketplace isn't going to matter and so it's important for organic to stay relevant to the consumer and so it's really hard to get updates through the U.S. government, right? It's a very slow process. We've been pushing for a lot of these changes in certain areas, like animal welfare, for quite a long time. Uh, and we're just trying to find a mechanism to make that a bit more efficient and make it a requirement that, you know, the standards are renovated from time to time to reflect consumer expectations um, and the latest science. Really excited about the collaboration we've been having with the U.S. government on moving organic forward. You know, there's been, you know, a, a long time period of a lack of moving the organic standards forward, keeping them clear, keeping them consistent, and that has completely changed in this last year. We see a ton of progress. The Origin of Livestock Rule came out, which makes, you know, very clear standards for and moves forward how, you know, organic dairies handle transitioning um, heifers. Uh, we see the organic livestock culture standard back out and proposed, so that's moving forward. We see some more kind of, you know, detailed inerts, it's a little wonky, but we see progress there. We see these rules moving forward that are doing the renovation that we want to see, you know, enacted more permanently in a more holistic, systematic fashion. So we're very excited about that. We're very excited about that partnership we've had with, with the USDA. If balancing all of these priorities sounds like a tall order, that's because it is, says Chapman, who added that in order to succeed, stakeholders from across the organic industry must work together to reinforce organics' value proposition, recognize the contribution everyone makes in their own space, and offering a hand where possible in other areas for the common good. Those who are interested in learning more about the evolution of the organic space can visit OTA.com. And those who want to know more about parsing and supporting sustainability claims, the circular economy, and the growing food as medicine movement can do so by registering for Food Navigator USA's upcoming digital summit, November 15th through 17th, during which we'll take a deep dive into each of these issues and more. Check out the full agenda and register at foodnavigatorsummit.com. With that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it and will join me again next week. And to help you remember, I encourage you to subscribe. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week.